Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Do you notice how your list of monthly fees seems to be growing? You know, those monthly subscriptions you pay? Well, experts don't expect companies to stop slicing your payments monthly soon. In fact, the global subscription billing services market is set to more than double in size from 2020 to 2026 to a $12.5 billion market. Listen, we're going to take a closer look at Facebook because uh, Facebook owner Meta Meta actually is rolling out a new paid verification subscription service for Facebook and Instagram. Meta Verified is what it's called. You have to pay for those blue ticks. Uh, we'll take a closer look at Facebook limiting certain services to paid subscribers. Who really benefits here? What does this mean for the company? And then we'll look at Chat GPT. Now, if it's part of an enduring trend, how are companies starting to use it? I thought we'd ask someone who's, you know, pretty close to the tech pulse here in Singapore to give us his insight. We'll also take a look at Asian stock valuations. Are Asian stock valuations modest? I mean, what can we glean from the forward P.E. ratio if we take a regional view? And um, also we'll take a look at beneficiaries of AI's boom and ask what NVIDIA's future looks like. We know NVIDIA is the world's largest supplier of chips. And so, you know, if you're talking about riding the power that it needs to get that chatbot boom going, uh, what does this mean for NVIDIA moving forward? So a lot to talk about this morning with Arun Pai. Arun, good morning from the investments team of Monks Hill Ventures. Thanks for taking time out to chat with us. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you as always for having me. All right, so let's look at Facebook. The social media was supposed to be free for always, but it has launched a paid subscription service. And some say it's, you know, it's taking, the, it's taking a leaf out of what Twitter has done. It's taking a leaf out of what Snap has done as well. Uh, do you think that limiting certain services to paid subscribers, I mean, some say, listen, there's already this monthly subscriber uh, fatigue. What do you think this means for um, the company? Has it run out of ideas to generate revenue? Or is this a sign that companies are under pressure, really, to to gain revenue from subscription services? <laughs> That's funny how when your stock price is down 70% or whatever, how the free only for life <laughs> protocol changes in a company, right? Which, yeah, I mean, is this honestly like um, Mark Zuckerberg's most creative moment? Not particularly. But, uh, and, you know, as you mentioned rightly, it's the playbook straight out of uh, Twitter's playbook, right? So the difference, though, is can it be a truly amazing revenue source for a company that literally has it's what, like close to half the world's population on all your platforms, like across Facebook, WhatsApp, as well as uh, Instagram? Absolutely. Right? I mean, they, they've gotten this huge following of people to use their platforms on a daily, weekly, monthly, whichever, you know, DAU, MAU metric you want to take a look at. And mm-hmm. has that popularity been waning a bit? Yes, it has. And, you know, it just makes his acquisition of Instagram and WhatsApp even doubly more important to the future profitability of the business. And now, are they going to try to monetize that? Absolutely, right? I mean, and I envision this across the board for tech companies, right, where our logistics have been subsidized heavily by uh, PPL players and e-commerce platforms over here. Our usage of Google, various 
uh, services, right? Not just Google search, which is heavily monetized through advertising, but all the other peripheral Google services they use that we use as consumers, world's largest social media platform. They will try to figure out more and more means of how to monetize it until the next next best thing comes along, you know, God knows when, when another entrepreneur steps up to the plate and is like, I don't like the way these things are being done, so it'll change. But can you blame a publicly traded company for trying to monetize its user base and squeeze it out for a little bit more to a certain extent? Like there has to be the, the right risk reward. And mm. hopefully there's not going to be any price gouging and stuff that takes place. And one would hope that the government will then clamp down on it. But some kind of monetization, I think, is definitely going to be on the cards as we go into an economic slowdown. Luckily, it's going to hit people in Australia and New Zealand first rather than us here in Asia. Uh, that's where Meta is testing its new subscription service. Um, it's expected to be, actually be popular for influencers, creators and businesses. If you buy the official line that this is about authenticity, you know, because that badge will be verified with your actual government registration of, of some sort. So it'll actually be you um, and that'll be, it'll increase yeah. authenticity, right? I mean, think think of this as like banks doing extra KYC checks and hence banks requiring an extra minimum deposit in your account or charging you extra in case there's an overdraft feature, etc. Right? Like mm-hmm. if regulation truly clamped down on social media and you want to be able to prove that you are truly this person and because of that there are all these other KYC checks and stuff that come in, this could also be a precursor for AML checks too, right? Where if they have an embedded finance and embedded fintech capability to start accepting payments and stuff, and they can route it directly to the influencer, but wait a minute, you have to be an approved, verified person on our platform to be able to receive payments to begin with. What do you know? You have to pay a certain minimum fee for us to be able to manage that service. That way, the person who's paying for that, uh, you know, that feature uh, gets a certain benefit in return which could be uh, seamlessly receiving payments. So this could be a first step for going down the path of being able to provide more regulated activities, potentially, uh, mm. and hence a certain charge for that. Thanks for explaining that. You know, it's about KY and, and, and verification, because I was thinking, what are the margins here for a blue tick? Pretty high, you know, you're talking in terms of revenue, but it's not just about the blue chick tip. It's about what's going on behind the scenes to enable that as well. So uh, Meta looking to score $1.7 billion in revenue uh, in 2024. Do you think this is just tick, 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 all the way good news for investors in Meta? Well, you know, $1.7 billion, and I, I like the estimate arranged a fair <laughs> amount. It's still a drop in the ocean as compared to the amount of money the guy is spending on, on the metaverse, right? So <laughs> I think that, oh, yeah. that's going to be... This, this also could be just a, a way of extending an olive branch to Wall Street and saying, look, you know, I do want my metaverse reality to come true. If I can mm-hmm. fund, say, like more than half of this, to this other monetization lever that I've just come up with, don't shoot me, right? And so it could be an element of that also for him to be able to uh, realize his vision on the metaverse side. So it could be that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting way to 
bring up something like this right now when the share price has been quite bloodied in spite of it uh, retracing exactly. its steps a little bit in the past couple of months. Exactly. So it could keep us long-term shareholders, could boost profitability, could lead to further upside for the stock, could being the key words, key word there. All right, let's look at chat GPT. I start my morning by chatting with chat GPT these days, Arun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that an amazing piece of technology, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you have your ear to the ground, you know, when it comes to the tech pulse here in Singapore. How are companies starting to use ChatGPT? We're trying to assess whether or not it's part of an enduring trend. What are you seeing? I, I think it definitely is. I mean, you know, half the startups or 90% of the startups that come out from this region or anywhere in the globe, the, the suffix is .ai, AI technology, et cetera, et cetera, is continuously being used. What ChatGPT did is truly remarkable, right? Like the LLM model it uses to enable, it, it's literally like a public version to enable people to ask it questions and it generate answers, right? It's generative AI, which is very yeah. different from Google, where, you know, and God bless Google, obviously, it's a fantastic company that runs uh, crawlers at the back end of the web to index all the content that's already been created and showcase that in a very simple manner. And then they use a monetization technique of advertising on top. That GPT kind of like flips that problem on its head and says, you ask me a question and I will actually be able to generate an answer for you. Like so you were mentioning, you know, like um, potentially like a morning chat, chat GPT, or if someone wants to write a speech, write a cover letter, write a resume, uh, come up and tabularize a certain format, chat GPT can actually generatively AI-wise come up with this. And what's truly, so that's one aspect of it, right? What's truly remarkable about this also is that behind the scenes, the amount of data that's required to provide the chat GPT for it to be able to run its LLM models to come out with, for the most part, something sensible is even more remarkable. So, yeah. you, you know, if you actually go into like the nitty gritty of it, all of these like the specialized AI models, like, so for example, like Google had to mm. feed something like millions of pictures of cats to enable the system to be able to understand and for it to be able to truly know what a cat is. With ChatGPT, it's completely different. You don't need those terabytes of information to feed into it for its models in the back end to be able to make sense of this. Now, obviously, there is a lot of data sources that have been accumulated in the back end of ChatGPT to make the generative AI sensible. And hence, they've gone down the path of trying to monetize this, right? They've come up with a paid subscription where uh, you have APIs. You can call this model to run. You can call on ChatGPT running its AI models in the back end with the data set, which is the very limited data set, I should say, that you've provided to it. So we've seen all of these other like startup companies that have come out that kind of mm. provide layers on top of ChatGPT. So, you know, mm. ChatGPT obviously has taken gazillions of dollars to create. Rather than you trying to recreate the wheel, which, you know, Baidu's come out with it, Google's come out with it, uh, Amazon, etc. Like all the big boys that can come out with their own equivalent versions of this, but a lot of startups have come out with like layers on top of this where you can interact with the surface, with the UX, UI, the user interface of these startups, which in turn plugs into the backend. So a great example is, say, a call center. 
right? Uh-huh. Rather than a owner sitting and having like 500 people sitting and managing customer service of a bank, you can literally replace that with only say like 10 or 20 people. Most of the routine vote requirements that people have, what is my you know expiry? Or how can I reclaim my fees from this credit card annual bill, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you can feed Chat GPT all this required information in the back end. These startups take all of that, combine it, put a nice little UX UI on top so the bank can work with just startups and basically reduce your customer service department by like 90%. So think of it and then extrapolate this, right? Like any routine conversational engagement between a customer or even a prospect with a company can be revolutionized by ChatGPT. That is how powerful I feel this, the next phase of AI, which is generative AI, where the system mm-hmm. can literally come up with stuff by itself, is going to truly revolutionize the way we do work, where we do our things. So I asked ChatGPT how companies are using it, and it said customer support, sales and marketing, mm-hmm. HR and recruiting, and even data analysis. Now, I don't know whether I can trust ChatGPT uh, in terms of its own assessment of what companies are doing with it because its data set is limited, I think, to 2021, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) I think a founder of one of our startup companies, UILicious, came out with this statement, which I found to be very apt. Think of ChatGPT as an extremely smart, very lowly paid intern, right? Where you give a whole bunch of uh, items for this person to do, not paying this person that much money, but yet you'll have to vet the work before it goes out in public, right? So, you know, speeches, like my wife gave a speech the other day at this uh, conference and mm-hmm. went up to chat GPT and said, oh, can you please come to the speech for this? And the speech was like 250 words. Went back to it saying, oh, can you please make it 500 words? Because it's like a five minute speech. Chat oh. GPT revamped the entire speech, came out with a 500, uh, <laughs> a five minute speech with a little bit of changes, and boom, off you go, right? It, it, from, end, from start to finish, like five minutes, the entire process. It, it's truly remarkable, I have to say. Amazing. Uh, just incredible. I know influencers are actually using ChatGPT to script their own videos now on YouTube and on you know, uh, TikTok and all that. And as you say, other companies are coming on board. So you just have to go to Canva, uh, click on whiteboard, put in your question like 10 tips to build uh, a business to do with, I don't know, minting something and then it'll come up with 10 tips for you and there you have it. If you're an influencer, there's your there's your script for the next 10 days. It's just amazing how... Influence, the new generation of influencers are Mm -hmm. coming up with content on how people should use ChatGPT. To make money, I know. It's been created by ChatGPT itself. (laughs) To the entire thing, right? It's just truly amazing how this software has changed the world in like a month or two months or whatever, right? (laughs) Incredible, incredible. But to your point, it is a lowly paid intern whose work you need to vet still. I thoroughly agree. I, I taught a course recently and just for fun, I thought, let me put some of my key questions to chat GPT, see where they could come up with a course. And I looked at it and I thought, if I presented this in my masterclass, everybody would fall asleep. This is just, <laughs> no, you still need that human touch. Uh, yeah. If you want to not just talk at people, but you want to talk with people. So as a conversationalist, I think there is still room for, 
<laughs> the human touch in the world, at least for now. Um, at least for now, yes. <laughs> at least for now. Who knows? Statements now with that. <laughs> <laughs> Check in tomorrow with me. Uh, so when it comes to chat GPT, there's so much excitement over, you know, generative AI. A while back, we were talking about DALI and, op- you know, OpenAI's DALI and what would that mean for graphic designers? Is it going to do away with architects and all that? But there are always people who are going to come on board and say, how can I make money off this? So with the rise of AI, what do you think this means for if we take the gold and the picks and shovels analogy? We know that NVIDIA is the world's largest supplier of chips in data centers. So if we, you want AI, if you think AI is going to really be a tsunami and you want to ride the power the behind the chatbot boom and you're looking at NVIDIA and their sales outlook beat Wall Street expectations with the rise of AI, what do you think chip makers like NVIDIA's future looks like? I mean, to get a lot sense of that, just look at its path, right? I, I think uh, the share price kind of topped out at uh, 300 plus dollars back in 2021. Three years before that, in, 20, in 2018, the share price was $30. Five years before that, in 2013, the share price was $3. So oh. from 3 to 30 to 300. So it's been a 10x in five years and then two years. Now, obviously, there was a big tech bubble, you know, a couple of years ago that's, not, that's now been deflated. The share price is now down to, I think, like 130, 150 or something after going to close to 100. But just to give, you know, your listeners a, a, a vision of how this company is scaled, current market cap is north of like $500 billion. So and now, you know, doing a little bit of a deep dive into the company, right? You can try to split up its business into primarily like four ver- verticals. One is your data center, which forms over like 50% of its revenue, right? So like last quarter, that was one of the few verticals that actually performed better than uh, mm-hmm. expectation or more than the, at least the year before, where it went, revenues went up to like about $3.6 billion, up uh, slightly over 10% year on year. This is, which, uh, this is a, uh, the vertical that has all your AI chips in it. Uh, the second vertical, which is gaming, uh, that took a huge hit. That was down about 40%. Uh, revenues of about $1.8 billion last quarter. This is on the back of, you know, like Nintendo Switch, for example, uses uh, NVIDIA's chips. A uh, bunch of other gaming consoles, uh, PCs, this whole Bitcoin craze that we went through, right? That's now uh, going through a little bit of winter. All of those GPUs, all of those chipsets required for mining cryptocurrencies were mostly powered by NVIDIA. So that's taken a big hit. Then you have your professional visualization for designers and your automotive uh, chipsets. I think the two ones to really take note over here, well, I hope the gaming one, at least in the pack of uh, cryptocurrencies, doesn't start doing better. <laughs> but that's just uh, my personal biased view against cryptos. But I really do feel the data center vertical and the automotive center uh, vertical, mm. those are the two ones to really look at for providing that, uh, you know, huge tailwind to the business. Data center, they're at, like, they are the number one company for powering generative AI chips. And on the back of ChatGPT, I think a lot of MNCs across the globe have now, you know, been like, oh, wow, this is how business can happen. If I trust, if I have to let ChatGPT power all of this, what is my role in this business anymore? So I think a lot more people, attention, has been focused on generative AI now, not just uh, Google and Facebook, et cetera, like other MNCs Mm -hmm. do. So that's one aspect. On the automotive side, that could be truly revolutionary if and when uh, dear old Elon Musk's 
dreams and visions of fully uh, autonomous driving can take place, all of that will be powered by, or a, a lot of, a large chunk of that will be powered by NVIDIA too. So from those two perspectives, massive tailwinds for the company, but wow, $500 billion market cap, even with this price correction, it is very, very expensive. So there's something yeah. to you know take note of. All right. Fantastic overview, Arun. Thank you for that. If we take a step back, I have to ask, what other companies do you see being possible beneficiaries of the AI boom? Quite a few, right? I mean, you, you can look at the entire supply chain of from the foundries to the likes of NVIDIA to Intel to the end customer, the person who controls the end customer relationship. And I think what's really important over here is to analyze, like, you know, TSMC, for example, Right fantastic business mm-hmm. has grown massively and you know Warren Buffett did a little bit of a skipperoo where he I think he put in like five billion dollars the previous quarter this quarter he uh, stole the entire stake which is a very un Berkshire Hathaway like view to things but, but that being said though so there are various pockets across the supply chain where value can truly accrue ESMC extremely profitable massively large business the only problem is that the capital that it generates kind of has to be plonked back into the business to ensure that you're always at the cutting edge of technology. Because things move so quick. It's not like, say, Coca-Cola, where you can come up with like a fake recipe and a billion people are still drinking it now as the exact same thing what they were doing, say, 10 years back. It just, it goes, the money just purely accumulates into your cash flows. In the case of the semiconductor industry, it's a little bit more difficult because you always have to be at the leading edge. I mean, look at the fall from grace for, say, like Intel, right, where it did not spend enough money on its R&D and suddenly various competitors came from behind and took over. So from that perspective, I think in the middle and the front part of the supply chain is a little bit more difficult to gauge uh, on who, which can be a true winner over the next, like, say, 10, 20 years uh, in a dividend or cash flow positive manner. But I think the company, so NVIDIA, I think, is one of the standout companies in that space, uh, no doubt. But my personal take is the, the companies that still work with the end customer, the likes of ChatGPT, I mean, Microsoft took a huge stake in them by putting in like $10 billion. Uh, the likes yep. of, I, I still am a very big fan of Google. Uh, I think their team, the tech, is extremely solid. Uh, and I feel that it's got the right culture still going. So I think companies mm-hmm. like that are going to be the ones that eventually win out in this. Fantastic. And before we let you go, we've got about a minute on the clock, Arun. Um, just general overview. Asian stocks entered a bull market in January, but we've seen the benchmark index for the region fall more than 5% from its peak. If we look at the iShares Core, MSCI Asia X Japan ETF, for example, down quite a bit from February. Uh, quite, the argument is that China's economic earnings and recovery could provide further support. What do you see looking ahead when it comes to Asian stock valuations? I think they're attractively priced, but also for a reason, right? I, I think this is one of those places where the markets like semi got it right. There's a lot of uncertainty, especially with news coming out of China. Is it, is it slowing down? Is it picking up? Is COVID finally done? So I, I think from that perspective, it's relatively fairly priced. Overall, though, I'm actually quite bullish. I think it's decent enough valuations to start scaling in. So personally, I'm buying. Always fascinating speaking with you, Aaron. Thank you so much and have a great day ahead. Thank you. You too, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.